Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Hacking HR podcast, the show where we talk about the amazing future of human resources and all things at the intersection of future of work, technology, innovation, organizations, transformation, and people. At Hacking HR, we believe that human resources can become the most important trailblazer, leading people and organizations successfully and effectively into the new reality of work and life. To do that, we must rise to the challenges of our times, shoot for the stars, and achieve our fantastic potential. During this show, we discuss ideas, insights, data, experiences, stories, and anything else that can contribute to helping you become and be a better HR leader and practitioner. Thank you so much for joining us today and enjoy the show. The uh, research on resilience in organizations has been picking up a pace over the past 10 to 15 years. Before that, uh, there was a lot of research, but it wasn't about the organizational context. And at the beginning of that research time for on organizations, it really focused on the ability to survive. So get through, cope in a crisis. If something bad happens, you get up, you dust yourself off and you keep going. But more recently, that focus has expanded to how do you use the crisis? How do you use the learning opportunity to adapt and transform for the future and build your resilience capability? And for leaders and organizations, that part of the definition is really critical. Corinne is the Senior Vice President of Leader Services at Organization Solutions. She has over 20 years of experience in building leader and organizational capability. She works with leaders across a wide variety of industries, and she leads Organization Solutions' global coaching practice, and she provides coaching to global and top regional executives. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Hacking Nature podcast. I am very happy to be with Corinne from Singapore today. How are you, Corinne? I'm very well, thanks, Enrique. It's a bit dark here in Singapore outside, but be doing well. It's one of the things that, that I, I, I am most amazed out of the work that I do in conversations with people like you in the other side of the world is the fact that you are so far ahead in time. For you, it's, for me, it is 6 a.m. And for you, it is 9 p.m. It's just incredible. I, Absolutely. I, I, it's, it's just so, I hope the future is looking better than the past. I'm, I'm in the past right now. <laughs> when I was younger, my, uh, my brother was working in San Francisco. I was here in uh, Singapore. This was a few years ago. My parents are based in London. Um, my mother could never work out where and what time either of her children were in the world. So it took her a really long time to work out. Just like, oh, you know, which is ahead and which is behind. It was very funny. <laughs> that is, it, it is funny. And what I do, what I do now, and I'm fortunate that we have Google. I just, I just put on Google, you know, 6 a.m. Pacific time. What time is that in Singapore? All right, it's 9 p.m. Okay, now I have a better idea on on timing. Otherwise, I, I would be completely lost. I don't know how people did this, you know, 20 years ago without Google. <laughs> so, um, and you know, with all the time changes and whatnot. So, Corinne, it's, it's, it's quite a privilege to have you with me today. So, thank you so much for connecting. And I'm very happy to be having this conversation about resiliency and, and leadership in times of crisis like what's happening in the world today with the pandemic, economic, social, political instability. So, so let's begin perhaps by, by providing a definition of what resilience or resiliency means. And, and I think that's important because, you know, as you 
chat with people, perhaps for everybody, they have a different understanding of what that means. So can we start perhaps defining in your view what resiliency is and maybe adding in there what it looks like for an organization? Sure, um, definitely. So the, the uh, research on resilience in organizations has been picking up a pace over the past 10 to 15 years. Before that, uh, there was a lot of research, but it wasn't about the organizational context. And at the beginning of that research time for on organizations, it really focused on the ability to survive. So get through, cope in a crisis. If something bad happens, you get up, you dust yourself off and you keep going. But more recently, that focus has expanded to how do you use the crisis? How do you use the learning opportunity to adapt and transform for the future and build your resilience capability? And for leaders and organizations, that part of the definition is really critical. Mm -hmm. So when I talk to organizations and leaders about resilience, it really is about both of those things, the ability to survive in a crisis I mean, now is a great example of that. You know, we at the beginning of this crisis, everybody was really focused on getting through and surviving. Um, and what we're learning is that this is an iterative, secular process where we're thinking now about adapting for the future. And with the second wave and other kind of impacts, we're also still thinking about survival. So certainly those three things, surviving for today um, and then thriving for the future so that you can kind of strive forward uh, and that's really what in resilience means to me when i work with leaders on it often they talk about bouncing back uh, coming back from challenges learning flexing regrouping and that all forms the core of resilience um, yeah that, that that is fantastic and i love the three parts of of the definition right it, it is surviving learning and thriving i i think it's when people are in the middle of a crisis, you always think back, right? When you have been in a crisis and you, th you think, oh, well, yeah, I'm glad that that happened because now I became this or I am better in this way or that other way. But I find it very challenging even for myself individually to be able to see that the gift of learning and thriving for the future when you are in the crisis, not after the crisis. So how do you help leaders and, and people in general see the, the value of trying to at least step out mentally from the challenges of the day and think, what are the learning opportunities of the crisis that I'm going through right now? I think that's very mm -hmm. challenging, right? It is. It's really challenging. And the best example I have of that is a leader I was working with, and he has a journal. So he is a very self-reflective mm -hmm. uh, leader he really thinks a lot about any situation he goes through and what are his learnings and takeaways so he can increase his leadership capacity. Um, and what he has done is he had in his journal a few pages that have always been blank and he wanted to really use them to reflect on a big crisis. So he's been through crises in, in, his, uh, in his leadership journey, but those that space, he knew he really didn't have that capacity as well developed as he wanted. And so that he said to me, these are my journal pages. So he is very systematic about how he goes back and reflects and thinks what went well, what didn't go so well, what could I be doing differently? And in fact, what we know is 
that is a practice of resilience leaders. So resilience on a personal level is driven by two things. One is your personal characteristics, which are pretty stable. So your personality um, and other characteristics that you hold. And our personality is set by the time we're about 25. Uh, so for the, the younger leaders amongst us, that's still developing. Certainly if you're growing a family, your children's personality are still developing. But for most of the teams we lead, they're over 25. So that's their, <laughs> that's, um, and that's about 60% of your personal resilience. But then at the same time, you have about 40%, which are resilient practices, which can be learned and developed. They can be coached uh, and so problem solving, identifying what resources you have and then adapting them and deploying them to different situations is one of those resilient practices. So that's something that people can certainly be doing for themselves as leaders and for their teams having routines of having those conversations to build their resilience capability. Let's, uh, I want to dig a little deeper into this resilience practices because that, that seems to be the space where we have the opportunity to continue to grow, right? That, that 40% that you're talking about is, seems to be the, the, the space where we get better. What, what, when, when you look at the, perhaps the most successful leaders that have been able to bring their organizations forward through crisis and get better after that and even thrive during or after the crisis, what do you think are the commonalities in their, uh, in the, in their resilience practices? What, what, what's common among all of those leaders? Well, so, and let me talk about the personal practices. And then what we also see the leaders do is, is drive team practices, which also build team and organizational resilience. So for a leader, you've got to be thinking about both the things. How do you build that individual resilience and the group resilience of your teams? On a personal basis, there are, there are five main practices that we see leaders who are resilient show, uh, or people who are resilient. Anyone can put these into practice. Uh, the first one is to have a real sense of purpose. And so that's something, you know, you can answer your question, why? Why am I doing this? And that sense of purpose can really push you through. And what we see right now in this crisis is it doesn't have to be a purpose forever. It could just be a, a purpose for the next few weeks or few months. It might be about supporting your customers um, as, they, as, as they go through the struggles that they're to maintain their business and keep their head above water. And how are you serving them? It might be about producing a piece of technology that you know is going to help the healthcare um, services, for example, but really something we, and those are both examples of what we've seen with clients, that, you know, something that's gonna bond people together and give them a sense of purpose. The second one is about being adaptable, so flexible. So as I mentioned before, finding different ways to solve problems, deploying one strategy to another. This one always makes me think of, um, for those of, uh, of, your, of your listeners who remember MacGyver, which is an old American <laughs> show in the 70s. And Love he it. would have, yeah, you remember? <laughs> he yeah, would have like a paper clip and a, a pen and he'd be able to get out of a well um, or from an un underwater and he could take whatever he had and he could adapt it to solve the problem. And that's what adaptability is for resilient leaders. Um, the third one is about control. And there's two parts of this. The first part is to putting structure in place. That is important, milestones structure, having a plan, and at the same time, being able to separate the things that we can't control. Uh, and that's increasingly difficult for us at the moment as leaders in organizations with lots of priorities coming to us and changing so fast, 
and as parents and and sons and daughters and partners you know the same is happening our priorities and what we what it, we can um we feel we need to control is expanding so really being strict with yourself to say do you know what i just can't control that right now i'm going to put it one to one side and i'm just going to focus on the things i can control reduces our stress uh, the, the the fourth one is around energy managing your energy and that is about keeping yourself well so yes it's about eating well and sleeping <laughs> well and drinking water and taking breaks and all those things that we know that we should do uh, but you can't pour from an empty cup so it's really important to keep yourself energized and re-energized uh, because you that's the best way to serve those that you care about and your teams and then lastly relationships relationships are important for two reasons uh, one is definitely that it helps you solve problems. You know, you get different perspectives and ideas. You can share them. Uh, but secondly, resilience is not about being the lone rock with nothing around you and no support. Resilience is like being a plant or a tree with strong roots and lots of connections and lots of opportunity to share the emotional demands that are being placed on you when things get tough. And that is a really important part of resilience. So again, I would really encourage people to look at that emotional support network they have and think, how can I increase that? If we're working with an, an organization, you know, with, how can you increase that with your team and bond them closer together or wider in the organization? Um, ask your team how they're feeling, you know, sharing the feelings, sharing the emotions, making it okay to not be okay is really important. This is such a powerful framework, and I, I definitely want to go back to tell our audience once again what the five things are, because I think they are powerful purpose, adaptability or flexibility, control, meaning providing some structure, but also knowing what you can't control, um, energy, keeping your energy high. I love that you just said you can't pour from an empty cup. So I always said this in a different way, you know at the end of the day, the same thing. You can't give what you can have, what you don't have. And uh, what that means is that, yeah, you know, if you, wanna, if you want others to be energized, you gotta be energized yourself. And finally, relationships, that emotional network of support that, uh, that can help you go through, uh, you know, all the things that are happening. This is, this is a powerful uh, framework. And I would love to, to know perhaps and dig deeper into the building of this framework in oneself, and let me let me let me let me perhaps provide a, a little bit more of, a, of of clarity around this question. Sometimes, this idea of adaptability and flexibility, which is something that a lot of us in the space of building skills for the future, we talk about this very often. But it it happens that for many people, sometimes that that idea of adaptability or flexibility does not have a, not a structure, but a, a way to make it happen. You know, it, it, because they hear so many ideas like, well, you gotta be flexible, letting things go, and you have to embrace the new things, you have to be resourceful, and this and that. But how do we build these five, these five strategies in ourselves? What do we have to do to make sure that we keep in mind the purpose as leaders, that we are adaptable, that we, can, that we have the capacity to provide a structure, but also to let things go that we can't control? Uh, to increase our energy and to build those relationships. So what, what would you say to people in that, in that regards? So the first thing I would say is don't start with all five at once. <laughs> you know, that's, that's a lot to change at any one yeah. time. Um, so when we work with companies, we actually have our own measure 
that we use with leaders and their teams. Uh, and we look at their personality traits that drive resilience, their resilient practices, and also the resources and demands in their environment that are increasing or are um, reducing their resilience. Uh, so when it comes to the five practices, which we call PACER, P-A-C-E-R, PACER practices, then we would, we would measure those like where are you now and what are you how are you building those and often a leader will find that there's one or maybe two that they really need to focus on building um, and that's what and then we would we would focus on that so you mentioned adaptability now there is a personality aspect to this as well some uh, some people are just better at working within uncertainty than others. Mm -hmm. They have a higher ambiguity tolerance. Uh, as leaders go through organizations, they tend to get better at that. They tend to get better at managing uncertainty. Uh, and what we sometimes find is that they are a lot better at it than their team. So they are not thinking about how are they burning their team out because their resilience is super high. You know, they're calm. They have this flexibility. They're comfortable with the ambiguity. And their team are just thinking, what's going on? You know, they're off being absolutely fine and their team are super stressed. Um, so I think as a, as a leader, think about yourself and also your team. Some things you can do to increase flexibility is to give decision control to others. Um, so, you know, let them be in control of some of the decisions that affect them. So engaging them in change, letting them flex their own work pattern, stretch those capabilities uh, in your team meetings or with yourself. Ask yourself simple questions like, what's another way I could go about that? Um, if you find that you're that it's just very stressful when things change fast there's very simple practices you can do breathing is an incredibly powerful practice it's you know it really is it's so simple and we can bring it out whenever we like five five deep breaths just completely resets ourselves so if you feel stressed out because things are uncertain then that's something you can very simply do um, so think anywhere where you're identifying this is tough and you want to flex and increase your capability, finding those short little micro routines that again help you in the moment and overcome it is really important. Um, but definitely with adaptability, it's asking yourself the question, what's the good that could come out of this? What's the positive outcome that this could drive? Um, how could I approach this differently? Who could I ask? You know, all those questions just helps it make more, makes it more controllable. This is a great segue into the question of leadership development, because all that you're talking about is qualities and, and, and uh, characteristics or, or behaviors of, of leaders, especially in times of crisis. So when you think about, we live, we live in a world where now the, common, the commonplace is uncertainty, ambiguity, chaos, uh, challenges, adversity. We are going through a pandemic now, but next year is going to be economic recession. And the year after that is going to be, you know, uh, climate change diaspora moving from one place to another. So it's Make always it going to be so great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. I don't want to scare anybody, by the way, but it's, you know, the, the idea here is that this, this, this principle of a stable, controllable uh, uh, and world does not exist anymore. And we're always going to be in, in some, some level of uncertainty and, and chaos. So thinking about leadership development, what should we be focusing on when we are developing not only the current generation of organizational leaders, but also thinking about the next generation, meaning 
perhaps the younger people that are getting into the workforce and that are dealing with all this craziness that, that's happening around us. Yeah, and I mean, I think the other aspect is, I mean, we, I've talked a lot about you know, the new equilibrium being that there is no equilibrium, but the reality <laughs> is that's been always true, right? It's yeah. just, I mean, yes, the pace of change and some of those big, big, very um, scary uh, examples you just gave are certainly on the horizon and we're all very conscious of them. Uh, but certainly as we think about leaders over time, that's, that has been true. Um, and, and any stage of growth for any organization has adversity. So when we think about growth leaders and the growth challenges that they might overcome, we see growth leaders do three things. And this, you know, this is based on the research and the, and the practice we've done with our, with our clients all around the world. Um, they do three things at the same time. Uh, so we talk about them being ambidextrous, but actually it's tridextrous, I guess, would be the description. The first thing they have to do is perform for today, help the organization perform for today. We have to do that. If you're not performing, there is no organizational future. But at the same time, they need to be building the capabilities for the future, so enabling transformation. Uh, so both the perform side and the survival and then the adapting for the future, transforming innovation growth mindset is really important. That's exhausting. So the third part that you need to be doing, leaders need to be doing to drive growth is energizing the organization, thinking about what's our talent, how am I coaching them, how am I developing them, what's my vision, um, how am I building that for my organization, and how am I building strong relationships. So when in terms of leader, leader development, when we think about that and what, we th what I think leaders will need to do in the future is continue to balance those three things, perform, transform, and energize. That is incredible. Perform, transform, and, and energize. How do we, how, how does that look like in the eyes of, of a regular corporate citizen, meaning the people who don't have neither a position of formal authority or a position of influence over others. How, when, when they look at these kind of leaders that you're talking about, how do they look like? How can I say, oh, Corinne is that kind of leader that transform, perform, and energizes? Well, the first thing about growth leaders is they're not always the kind of the nice leaders who are really easy to get on with and sort of sit within the organization because they can be a little bit um, abrasive in some ways, mm. like not necessarily in their behavioral way, they, the way they act, but they're, they're like a, the sand and the oyster. So they are pushing the organization forward. You know, they're creating that opportunity for innovation and that experimentation. They're pushing the thinking around what does the future look like? And at the same time, they're engaging people. So if you're sitting in their team, you're seeing them ask questions and um, engage different groups of people in solutions. Um, and so at the same time as being really strict on what are the priorities of the organization and being quite clear at horizontally aligning. So leaders we coach, they, you know, they may want to focus on perform, transform or energize, but certainly consistently we see leaders at um, Often, and this is not always the pattern, but often we'll see leaders at a more junior point in their career develop great perform skills. You know, they're very good at setting priorities, getting things done, structure and executing. And they have to build that capability to expand the transformation skills, to drive the innovation, um, to keep externally focused 
and to make sure that they have that, that growth mindset. Now that does also depend about organization culture. There are organizations who just have a really strong innovation transformation culture, tech companies, um, fintech, driving healthcare. So, you know, some of those sections, but the more traditional organizations that are more established, their, their real growth challenge tends to be about transform. So building that mindset for transformation. And let me, let me ask you about this, this idea of transformation, because it seems that in times of crisis, and even, even Albert Einstein said this, in times of crisis is when we can unleash our imagination, we can think about possibilities, because we are somehow given more leeway, if you will, to experiment, because nobody has been there before. And uh, like the pandemic, nobody has been like, not too many people who were born before 1918 would remember what happened in 1918, the mm -hmm. previous bigger, biggest pandemic. So I think there's a lot of leeway now for experimentation. So given that the reality is we're going through difficulty, nobody has been here before, we can experiment with ideas and new ways to do things, which at the end of the day is transformation. What would be your, uh, you know, sort of your playbook, if you will, for leaders and organizations to start thinking and implementing transformation? What should they be looking into uh, going forward in, in order to make it happen uh, right at this time? I, but I love what you said about experimentation. So to me, I, that is the capability, that is the mindset that every leader should be just using this time right now to just massively multiply across their organization, making it okay to experiment. Uh, and I, I spent 10 years in the financial industry. So that idea is very hard for highly regulated industries to think yeah. about, you know, because so, but even in those types of industry, we do see innovation and we do see um, new thinking. So I would really be encouraging leaders to double down on that. Innovation is a massive driver of organizational growth and success to build those innovation muscles and the expectations of the culture. You have to expect it from your people. It has to be part of their role is to come up with new ideas. Um, as a leader, think about how you're responding when new ideas are brought to you. Uh, when I was working in the financial industry, again, we did a lot of work about ensuring that, um, that mistakes or, or things that might be perceived as failures could rise up to leaders. Uh, and one of the big things we worked with leaders on was physically, how do you look when given bad news? Right? Mm. And this always, I always translate this across to new ideas, because if you look serious, even if that's not what's going on in your head, then you're going to reduce the likelihood that someone will come to you again <laughs> yeah. because of the, the message you're sending. Same idea with new ideas. Ask people in your team meetings to come up with new ideas. Encourage them, let them experiment. You know, have a few ideas that you're experimenting with. Tech companies often have uh, a bunch of experiments they're trying, and then they only pursue two or three. What they're really good at is failing fast. Try it. If it doesn't work, cut it, move on. Um, but be iterating. Be iterating and coming up with those ideas. Um, and, and, and use that now. What we're seeing interest, what I think is really interesting right now is we're seeing that with companies working with their ecosystems to experiment with new ideas. So hotels are a great example of this. You know, if I talk to hospitality leaders, their sense of responsibility for what's, you know, for their staff, it just doesn't stop there. It doesn't stop at the boundaries of their hotel um, walls. 
they are they feel responsible for their entire community ecosystem because they know how much they rely on that property. And so again, this is a great example where we're seeing great innovation of the use of hotel kitchens, the way transport is being used, the, the, the pivot of mindset around safety, really interesting. You and I were speaking earlier about another great example, which was the performance industry, where yeah. you have an ecosystem of people around those performers um, and they're thinking differently around how do we use the assets we have and deploy it differently. That's, uh, I, I think that's, uh, it's, it's beautiful that, that leaders can think in that way, taking care of their people beyond the walls of the organization. Uh, because like you're saying, it's, there's an ecosystem of people that, that sometimes we don't see, but they are all involved in making every single thing happen, right? Even the person who, you know, who's taking care of cleaning the, the floors of a, of a building, you know, that person is part of the ecosystem of people who work in a given organization. So, so this is powerful. One, one thing, Corinne, that I know it's in the, it's cornerstone to all this and probably foundational to all that you talked about is this idea of leaders becoming more human, right? And being more, more vulnerable. And, and I want to ask you, what, what comes to mind? What do you say when, when we talk about humanity in leaders? Because We've seen, a trans I think we are seeing a transformation in the way leaders operate because the new reality of work is people are working from home. So maybe micromanagers have less of an opportunity to be micromanaging and leaders who were perhaps not given, given, uh, giving others the opportunity to grow because they, think, they thought, well, they have to take care of family, meaning they won't take care of job. Now everybody has to take care of family and job at home. So, so what comes to mind when, when, we talk about this idea of humanity or leaders becoming more human and more vulnerable. Um, I think that's a great question. So, you know, and also it, this is important, not just because it's the right thing to do, which it absolutely is, but we also know that network centrality, so how, how central you are to that ecosystem you drive is, is massively important to organizational success. So the more central you can be as an organization, with your supply chain and your customers, that's helpful from a business perspective. When it comes to people, I've certainly seen that. I mean, as, as, as you mentioned, I've been working with a lot of organizations on helping their people thrive through good times and bad, uh, build that resilience. And the consistent conversation is around wellness and mm -hmm. reducing burnout um, and thinking about those around them and keeping people it's not necessarily about performance, but it really is about them being okay. Um, so that's certainly become more important for people, for, for leaders. I've also seen, I have seen a shift in vulnerability on leaders, more, uh, more um, willing to be vulnerable and share a little bit of themselves in this crisis. Um, so a great example is a leader I was working with and he, he was running a, his first big town hall He's, he works in a bank, so he was suited and booted. He had his tie on, you know, he's got everything ready. Everything's perfect. Um, he had no idea how to use the technology. So he had his assistant <laughs> telling him how to do it. It's all set up. And then um, he's sort of on there and he's talking. And then suddenly you heard this noise outside and, and the feed just goes dead. And then quickly again, it comes back on and he's suited and booted and goes through. Two weeks later, and I was working with him on a coaching relationship, so it was lovely to see the transition. Two weeks later, he, um, 
did another town hall. He had casual top on. His kids were no longer sort of stuck outside, but they were wandering in and out. He knew how to use the technology. Uh, and he was talking about the challenges that he had been facing over the past two weeks to deal with what was going on and, and deal with all the extra meetings and concern and worries. So by sharing though, that little bit of himself, he was making it okay for the rest of his organization to not be okay and getting in doing that, um, I think we underestimate how important that is for leaders, right? So letting people share with you how they really are feeling isn't just a nice, warm, fluffy thing to do. That is really strategically important data for you. Because if you don't know where your people are emotionally, what's tough for them or whether they're okay or whether they're not, then you're going to reach a point where your team can't perform. Yeah. And you don't want that to suddenly happen. You want to be able to know. You want to be able to help, yes, and you want to be able to work with them and make things better, definitely. And you, you know, you, you're leading that team. You want to make sure that they, they are in the best place that they could possibly be in order to do the best work that they can do. Yeah, that's, that's fantastic. You mentioned that. I, I know a CEO who was connecting from the bathroom in his house because that was the only place where he could just lock the door and be, <laughs> quote unquote, away from children and the pets at home. So he was using a virtual background so that nobody else would know that he was from the bathroom. And the CHRO <laughs> of that company told him, no, don't use the virtual background anymore. Tell everybody that you are in the bathroom and that's the only place at home where you can connect. Because imagine how many people in this organization are in the same place and they don't want to say it because they are afraid of saying it or ashamed of, of dealing with that reality. So the guy did, and he created, like you're saying, an environment where now all of the rest of his employees who are in the same place, meaning having kids at home and having to connect from the bathroom, now they are more open to, they have permission, quote unquote, to do it because their leader is, is doing it as well. So I think that's, Honestly, out of all this tragedy that the pandemic has created for, for people and for our economy and our societies, I think one of the gifts out of this tragedy is the fact that we are becoming more human. We have a, we have a peephole now into, into people's houses, into their lives, and we're getting to know them, not just as, well, Corinne, my coworker or my leader, but Corinne, the, the wife, the mother, the, the, the pet owner and the family member, right? So I think that's beautiful, to be honest. I think that's a, that's a beautiful thing. And one of the things that you made me think of as well is, you know, we've been talking for years about the fallacy of work-life balance and we've mm. you know, been positioning it really nicely around actually we should be thinking work-life work -life integration. I think what happened over the past few months has been work-life collision, like head-on <laughs> collision, you know? It's like, there's been no integration. It's just been yeah. bang. Um, and so people have had to learn really fast how to do that. Mm. And one, one organization I was working with there in the garment, he, one of the guys said, look, we thought that the shutting of all the, the factories was going to be the hard thing. The shutting of all the manufacturing was going to be the tough thing. But looking back, that was the easy thing. We needed to do it. It was a health and safety issue. We had to shut and send everyone home. Now we're reopening some. We're not reopening others, different geographies. We've got to manage different needs. We've got to manage different recoveries. And then second waves come. We've got to manage different regulations. This is now the heart of it. You know, so you're, you're iterating. But what they've done is they've built that resilience capacity. So now they look back and go, actually, that wasn't so hard. 
but at the time. So this period of fast learning, um, I think is really useful for leaders and organizations. Yeah. And interestingly, it's often the same kinds of things that good leaders have been doing forever. So for example, if you think about what people need to thrive through good times and bad, right? Through a different kind of adversity, then they're very similar. They're, they need to feel that they're being treated fairly. Yeah. They need to be included in decisions that matter for them. They need to be resilient. They need to have psychological safety and they need to feel trust, right? So this kind of, we call them the people first principles. We're working with leaders um, to, to build those within their team. What we're noticing is different now is how you deploy that. So you can't, you know, if you're thinking about, for example, equal access to information as part of fairness, then it's much more complicated to disseminate information uh, because everybody's working in an isolated way. And if you're used to being physically located together, where it's easy just to drop over someone's desk and share some information, you have to really rethink about how do you do that and yet stay fair. Uh, and that's yeah. what we're working with a number of leaders on, which is, I think is really interesting. And that's where we're seeing new practices emerge. Yeah, and I, I, I think that's, uh, again, that's, that's, a, that's the gift of this tragedy and the opportunity to grow. So Corinne, as we wrap up this conversation, I always end up with the same question, and that is, what are you the most excited about the future and what are you the most concerned about the future? Wow, those are <laughs> questions. Yeah, I, left, I left for last the, the good one. <laughs> I, <know>. um, <laughs> I think I'm excited about what the possibilities could be. I mean, I think there is a real opportunity to rethink talent and the way that we develop talent and the way that we think about talent in organizations. Um, so, you know, I'm keeping it relatively local to what we do in HR, right? So, but I think that that is really exciting. I don't know yet whether that is going to be good or bad. If we think, you know, it could drive a whole localization of talent where more people who are in uh, Asia is a great example, local talent get more opportunities or it may go the other way. Um, yeah. So I don't know, but I think that's really exciting. Uh, the possibilities, the opportunities, what success can look like and how we define that. Um, is really exciting to me. The, op the in idea for inclusive growth and the opportunities yeah. that that brings. Uh, I think that's really exciting. Um, and what was your second question? Something what about the, what I'm most nervous about. What the most concerned about, yeah. <laughs> the most thing I'm most concerned about. I think it's the short to medium impact. No, probably the medium impact of everything that's happening. I mean, we're just seeing massive unemployment happen mm. all over the world and the impact on millions and millions of people. I mean, this is a health crisis with economic impacts. I mean, people yeah. are dying, people are losing family members, people are losing their jobs, their hope, their livelihood. And I think we really need to, as a function, as an HR function, and more broadly, think about how do we ensure that we weather this storm over the next, hopefully, say two, three years, so that we get all of that amazing talent who's just graduated and coming through into successful careers where they can start and build. You know, we support all those, the older workers who need that support, need that family. We, we support everyone who's losing their small business or losing, losing their job um, to be able to reskill and upskill and have a successful uh, career and, you know, be able to pay their bills and food, right? So I think for me, that is... That is probably what I'm most concerned about right now. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, I am on the same page. 
regarding what you are optimistic about and what you are concerned about, of course. Well, Corinne, thank you so much for being with me in the podcast today. Thank you so much. It was a great conversation. My pleasure. It was great fun. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Stay tuned for the next Hacking HR podcast. Thank you. Thank you, everybody, for watching or listening to this podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please follow us on our social media and subscribe to our newsletter so that you can stay informed of all the things that we're putting together for you from the Hacking HR community. Thank you so much. Please continue to stay safe, stay well, stay strong, and we will see you soon.